0: Good evening, welcome into Spooky South Coast, Tim Weisberg here, along with psychic medium Stephanie Burke, and we are here with a very special edition, uh, as we talk about the paranormal here uh, each and every Saturday night. Tonight we're going to be taking a look at a special um, topic that really needs to be addressed, and that's why um, I'm happy to have the panel that we have tonight. Also, I realize playing that theme song, uh, it is actually much longer when you have people looking at you saying like, come on, when are we going to get started here, what's going on? Uh, but we are recording this episode. I've brought in everybody through the, the miracle that is StreamYard uh, because we have a six-person discussion here tonight. I've brought in, of course, Stephanie's here with me, and we brought in four panelists to talk about what's going on with, and I've been talking about this in the weeks leading up to this. There's, there, it's it's time for things to change in the paranormal. This is something that we have been discussing for, Well, all 17 years that we've been on the air, really, going all the way back to when we were talking about, you know, when Ghost Hunters was the only show on TV and people would call in and say, how come the women on that show don't get as much screen time as the men? How come the women on that show are relegated to some of these minor roles? And it's been something that has plagued the paranormal even before that. For as long as we have been looking into the idea of ghosts and the existence of the afterlife, Women have been a very big part of that, but they've been sidelined and it's time for that to change. And we've got a panel here of people who are actually out there all the time working in this field and who are finally starting to speak up about this. So let's just say hello to everybody that we have. First of all, hello, Stephanie. It's
1: Hey, Tim. It's
0: nice to see you, I guess.
1: Uh, Ha ha ha. I know. <laughs> but well, it was supposed to be a radio show.
0: And how long has it been since we've actually been in the well, we were in the same room when we were investigating at the um, wayside, but uh, Yeah, I get
1: right? to see you briefly. We've, but we've barely in seen a, each other. The radio station together, it's been a while. Yeah. But I've been on the road, so
0: Well, hopefully soon. Yes. We got the uh, the big anniversary show coming up next month. No, month after next. So if you want if you right. want pizza and bad champagne, you better show up. <laughs> kind of our annual tradition uh it let's is. let's welcome in our panelists i'll kind of go clockwise here we have joining us you know her as pretty effing spooky on social media amanda paulson is here with us hello amanda how are you
2: hi good thanks for having
0: me oh thanks for joining we, we've wanted to have we've had uh, amanda um and we've we've i've talked to- i've talked to amanda Womer, our next person who i'll introduce who you know from spooky hello amanda
3: Hello,
0: how are you? I'm doing well. We've had you on before on, on Spooky South Coast, so it's great to have you back. Uh, Amanda Millette, Spooky New England Ghoul, and now you know be, going beyond New England, she is joining us again on the program. Hello, Amanda. How are you? Hi. And also joining us for the first time, we have Becky and Galantine, who you know is my bloody Galantine. Hello. How are you?
4: Hi. Thanks for having me.
0: All right. We got the awkward introduction part out of the way where we're all. So now it's a free for all. So we'll we'll just leave it open to anybody to answer or even ask questions. Uh, But first of all, let me just get the plug in. Uh, Amanda and Becky and Stephanie and myself are going to be part of an event coming up on December 17th happening in Winchenden, Massachusetts. It is our first holiday themed event. And uh, Stephanie, you you and I have talked about in the past doing something kind of holiday related. I think Winchenden is a great place to do it because they take the Murdoch Whitney house and they decorate it all up and put Christmas trees in every room. So we're not going to be able to escape the spirit of Christmas, even if we try.
1: Well, I think that's a great idea. Um, The entire location is just perfect for something like that. And it actually does look very pretty
0: decorated. It's just it's it's. It's in the perfect place. Like if you picture New England in the winter at Christmas time, yes. this is this is what you're going to picture. So uh, and people can get tickets to that at Spooky And of course, we'll be sharing it all out on social media in the days leading up to it. But you, we're going to get to investigate two different haunted mansions that are right across the street from each other. So it's really easy to go back and forth between the two houses. And, uh, and I think that uh, we'll have uh, based on all of our experiences there before, it should be a pretty active night. Um,
1: did we uh did we confirm that the ice cream shop is open?
0: Uh if it's not open, I'm going to bring my own ice cream because okay. I'm planning on it now. Yeah, there's there's actually they built an ice cream and candy shop in one of these mansions. So it's it's it, if it's there and it's open, we have to utilize it in some way.
1: Obviously, Spooky Snack Coast.
0: Yeah, I've got some I got some snacks to discuss with you. We've we've okay. there's going to be some new Spooky Snack Coast snacks when you come back. New, okay. new ideas. All right. So let's get into the main topic tonight. And, and as I mentioned, kind of in the opening there, uh, there's no other word for it, really. The misogyny in the paranormal has been around for a long time. Uh, Amanda Woomer, I know that you are somebody who has pushed for uh, more of a, of a female voice in the paranormal world. Of course, you have the fem- feminine macabre, which is now what you're getting ready for the fourth volume.
3: The fifth one fifth fifth one volume. comes out uh, this, this spring. So submissions are open for it right now.
0: And so the idea behind this was to give a voice to some of these women who are out there doing the work in different avenues of the paranormal who haven't been getting a spotlight.
3: Exactly. Um, and I, I got the idea back when I was doing a show almost two years ago now. And I realized that People had no idea who we were talking about. Historically speaking, you know, the Catherine Crows and the Eleanor Sidgwick's. Um, The only person they really knew was Lorraine Warren. And that's from the Conjuring franchise. You can't convince me otherwise. Um, And so that just got me thinking of all the incredible women that I know personally in the field. You know, a bunch of them are here tonight Um, and just the really unique things that they're doing in the field. But you don't know about it because they're not a bunch of straight white guys. So I figured, you know, the journal, The Feminine Macabre, isn't giving these women their voices. They already have them. It's just a way to try to amplify it and shine a spotlight on the work that these ladies are doing, because it's just as interesting as what the men are doing, if not more so, I would argue. Um, And it should be talked about and it should be celebrated.
0: So I I want to go back to what you said about historically uh, the women who have been involved in this. Why do you think that they kind of fell to history? Do you think it is just that it's very male centric when we when we document our history?
3: I mean, I think that is a big portion of it. You know, history is told by the conquerors and the conquerors tend to be men. Um, And, you know, misogyny has been around basically forever. And you know, you had a woman like Catherine Crowe, who is very independent, and she became the victim of Charles Dickens and his smear campaign that was very successful. Um, Eleanor Sidgwick was married to Henry Sidgwick. Um, so anytime she appears in any sort of documentation or um, resources, she is known as Mrs. Henry Sidgwick. She's not known as Eleanor. Um, so and I think that's just the culture of the time, the Victorian age. You know, a woman was more or less her husband's property. Um so unfortunately, if we do know these women, which is a rarity in and of itself, um, usually it's through um, their husband. Um, and luckily, we're not at that point anymore, um, but we still have a long way to go for sure.
0: And Stephanie, you being a medium and, uh, and, and doing this work for a long time and, and being part of a family of mediums, uh, I'm sure that you look back at the past and you say, well, if you look back at some of these early Uh, early reports of the paranormal the the women are almost always mediums and they're almost always being debunked it's almost like uh, they were trying to silence whatever voice they had even if they could have been legitimate
1: I think early media didn't warm up well to psychic mediums at all and I think For a long time, women would break into the paranormal and claim to be psychic mediums in order to get that spotlight, which you know how I feel about that. I didn't agree with that at all. So I had to work very, very hard to get to where I am today and had to prove myself um, probably in more ways than most people do at this point in time because of that entire situation being what it was.
0: Well, and people think that you popped onto the scene as a medium, but that's not the case. You actually first got involved in things as a paranormal investigator and you kept the medium side of it a secret.
1: I did. And if anybody can tell that story, well, it's you because you were there for day one, um, I had a genuine love of the paranormal. Um, for those that do know me or have listened to me lecture, I grew up with this entire lifestyle. Um, the mediumship and the the psychic aspect of things ran through generations of my family. Um, my dad had a love of ghost hunting and history. So, you know, it was, it was a norm for me. It wasn't something that I just woke up one day. I was like, oh, I like spooky things. I'm going to do this. It was a lifestyle, a culture, and I didn't realize that nobody else grew up with it. It was kind of weird for me to realize that, you know, people had different things go on at their house or like they <laughs> they were just normal and I wasn't. Um so when I realized that people were actually like, you know, sitting around in the dark looking for these things, I was like, wow, these are my people. You know, this is something that I've done forever and I want to do it too, but I did not want a spotlight. I did not want attention. Anybody that knows me knows how much I absolutely despise attention. So, um, it took me a really long time to be comfortable with people even asking me questions about what it is that I do, as you know, Tim, cause you kind of put me on the spot the first day that we met. So,
0: Well, and in those days, it was very important for, you know, for a woman to be able to be part of the paranormal, they had to be part of a team. And it seemed like every team was trying to find their medium or find their empath or find a a woman that would fill that role. And they were kind of relegating them to that roles. Uh, Amanda Paulson, Amanda Millet, Becky, I'm going to ask you all the same question and we'll just go one at a time here. But you all work independently. You're all out there. You certainly will team up with others, but you also have no problem going out, investigating on your own, and putting that information out there. Uh, Amanda Paulson, for you, was that a conscious decision to say, I'm going to stand out here on my own and not put myself into a team dynamic, or was it just kind of how things shook out? Uh,
2: So I started on a team in 2008 when teams were um, very popular due to – how it was portrayed in paranormal media. But um, now I am solo by choice, um, but I don't think I would reject a team if I was presented with the opportunity, but I I just like to do things uh, regardless of if other people will do them with me or not.
0: Do do you think that uh, in 2022, a team dynamic would be different than it was in 2008?
2: Yeah. I, I don't know. I don't even know if I would know what a team dynamic is like. Now compared to how it was when I was last on a team, so that would definitely be a learning curve for me being on a team today. I I think that there's a lot of value in investigating with more than one person. I think that there are some drawbacks to being um and just one person on investigations, um, but also the those big teams that were really popular uh, in the early aughts. Um, I don't know if that's the right way to go either, but
0: yeah. So, and, and Becky, you are somebody who, you know, you have no problem going out. You work with a lot of other people, uh, but you also have your own approach to the way that you want to do things. And you've been very vocal about it at times. Sometimes you don't always agree with the approach that people are taking when they're out there investigating.
4: I think that's a result of just like when you first start branching out and doing things, I think you want to hear the most ideas and hear from all these different perspectives. And this comes from... Basically, a process of being burned over and over again by people that not just like the wrong way, because I don't think anyone's doing things the wrong or right way, but things that didn't resonate with me. So, um, you know, I would investigate with someone like three or four times and then I'm like, that's not for me. And particularly with the discussions. So, Discussions that we're having, you know, I investigate with someone three or four times and then they send me a message that says hey you and I'm like, okay, this is not going the direction that I want in order to be respected and you made me overwhelmingly aware of my gender. So when I started like exploring things on my own. It's basically not only that, and I think a lot of the things that I've done have been through a pandemic. And I worked a job where I was exposed basically every single day. So it wouldn't be responsible for me to, you know, meet up with a ton of people after going into hospitals all day.
0: And and also, I think part of it is the the general respect that people don't always have for each other, even as investigators, regardless of gender that people look at something that somebody does. And obviously, you know, the, the four of you are very prominent on social media. Stephanie and I have this show. There's always something that you, in the back of your mind, you're wondering like, what's this person's angle? Like, what are they reaching out to me for? Really? Do they want to work with me and do something? Or do they think that I can help their reach in some way?
4: I think that, um, that is something that comes up a lot. And I'm not concerned about it. If people are reaching out to me because they see an opportunity to get more exposure, that that definitely happens. And I, it doesn't matter um, if people are doing the things that I'm open to endorsing. Now, again, if I hang out with someone and it's getting late in the night and I realize they're obviously faking something or i hang out with someone and we investigate and then I hear allegations yeah I'm going to withdraw from that situation and that's why I've learned to have a process so hang out with someone four or five times and then then post them on your social media and some people take offense to that because the first thing I'm not trying to do is in, you know posting and making people especially a younger audience exposed and platforming people who may be potentially dangerous or unethical
0: uh, Amanda, I see you're having some issues with your connection. I think we, do we have you on there now? Is it working for you?
4: I think
5: it's working.
0: It yeah. is. It's, we I can hear you. So uh, t- talk a little bit about your own journey and how you got involved in this and the way that you approached it. Are you talking to me? <laughs> yes. Yes.
5: Sorry. I missed all of that. Um, it, it was
0: really great stuff. You'll have to listen back on the podcast. Yeah, no, I'm really sad.
5: Um, what were we talking about?
0: Uh, Just I want to know a little bit about how you got started in this and how you approached it coming into this, because we've we've talked about this before, that you do have concerns sometimes about being a young woman going into some of these places and knowing that people, some people in the paranormal field will take advantage of that.
5: Oh, yeah. I mean, when especially when you're first getting started and you don't have any friends in the paranormal and you just start going to like events and everything by yourself, it's and then you later find out like, oh that person who was leading that has an allegation or that person who was there that you were like being friendly to has something. And it's like, wow. Okay. what? this is a perfect opportunity to like, when you're a woman going out alone and then you're going into a dark place that's far away. Um, yeah. So I definitely think it's like important to talk about because like, especially like, like young girls like look up to look up to me, and I don't want them to like put themselves into situations where they're unsafe
0: and I definitely want to get into that uh that's that's a, a major problem that i I don't think people understand it's it's really bad, and I don't know that it's ever been as bad as it is right now somehow these people are feeling empowered to be able to do this and and it's you know there was always there was always kind of the The creepiness and I I know that we we want things to be creepy in this field but there was always a lot of that that happened because I always portray and Stephanie can tell you we've been talking about this off air and on air for years that I've always looked at the paranormal as a lot of us are the folks who were the weirdos growing up a lot of us were the folks that didn't have friends that wanted to hang out with us and all of a sudden we find ourselves the cool people that people want to see what it is that we do because what we do is suddenly very popular. And so a lot of folks who get involved in this don't understand the social dynamic. Uh, And there's probably people who have never had a woman reach out to them for anything. And then when somebody does, they think to themselves, oh, they must be interested in me. It's like, no, they just want to work with you in this field. Not everything is an attempt at a hookup, uh, which we'll get into with conventions and stuff, too, because that's a whole other thing. Um, And I do want to kind of shift into that about the representation that is out there. Let's talk about. These television shows, they've come a long way, but I can tell you, I pitched, I created a, a uh, treatment for a potential TV series, and I'm not even going to be shy about naming the names. So the show that I had created the treatment for was with Marie D. Jones, who I'm sure a lot of you have read her books and, and heard her interviews, and Alexandra Holzer. And the two of them would be going out, and the, the treatment, the idea was that they would be going out investigating some of these different cases. And when they got there, they would work locally with other women who had already been investigating those cases or who might be familiar historically with the location, whatever it might be. And when I pitched that to production companies, the answers that I got back were astounding. Uh, Women don't want to watch smart women on TV. Uh, Women don't want to see women that they feel might be smarter than themselves. What's going to be the drama that happens? Because if they're not going to fight, women won't tune in to see it. And I'm like, well, first of all, you have a very preconceived notion about what should be happening with women in the paranormal, but also you have a really odd idea of what women are looking for in TV. Like just because real housewives is a popular show doesn't mean that that is the footprint for every other type of series. And instead we've, we've had instead, you know, the the secondary role for women for a long time. I think we're starting to see a little bit of a change now, But still, you can't have a show that's going to be led by all women. They just won't seem to get it out out to a network.
1: I think part of that problem, too, Tim, is. Women against women is a huge issue, whether it's the paranormal or not. Women don't lift each other up as much as we should. We don't compliment each other as much as we should. Most of them are in competition with each other because of silly things. And, you know whether that's created by media or created by men or created by, you know, just insecurities in general, that starts the problem. And then it just continues from there.
0: And anyone else want to chime in on the idea of, of this lack of female representation in these shows?
3: I'll chime in. Um, this was a conversation that kind of also spurred, the feminine macabre and I'll keep bringing things back to that because that's my experience and my kind of solution to this whole thing. But you know, the one thing that I've noticed, and when I first started Spook Eats, I was approached by several production companies and stuff about a Spook Eats type of show where it's food and travel and, you know, paranormal. And they were like, this is going to be great. And every single time they came back and they were like, they don't want women. Women watch these shows and they want to see men. That's what they kept saying, Um, you know, and if you think of the TV shows that we have, a lot of them are young, young youngish, muscular men in tight black shirts running around. Um, And, you know, you know, you said like we've come a long way and I kind of agree with that. I really don't, though, you know, you look back at some of the older shows, you know, however many years ago now, 10, 15, almost 20 years ago now, and you had the one or two ladies and that was it. And that's really still all that we have. Um, a lot of times the women are reserved for the role of the witch or the psychic medium or the empath. Um, they're never the tech person. They're never the scientist. They're never very rarely the historian. Um, and if there is a female lead, she is always countered by a male lead. Um, you know, and it's never a woman completely on her own or a group of women completely on their own. A woman is always matched with a man. Um, So for that, I don't think we've come nearly as far as we should have over the last 20 years. Um, Again, we have numerous all-male shows and not a single all-female show. So that's something that keeps me up at night and I'm going to keep poking at it because it really, it really bugs me.
0: Yeah, what, what really bothered me is I was talking to production companies about that treatment that worked with like own and lifetime and networks that are geared toward women. And you think that they would be the ones to say, hey, let's give it a chance. But uh, even even they were kind of afraid of it, although I will say the good thing is uh, if there has to be a, a positive side of this for women in the early days of those paranormal shows. Uh, people really thought that the people running around investigating for ghosts, the general public, I mean, the people who were into the paranormal that were watching it, they worshiped them and there's still the hero worship that happens to this day. But the general public was watching those being like, look at these idiots running around in the dark looking for ghosts. So maybe, maybe you were spared a little bit of that too. Uh, but at the same time, it's not, that could have, in my opinion, that could have helped to normalize a lot of the paranormal a lot sooner. Because you do have a different approach when you have, people who are being thoughtful and intelligent about it instead of filling a particular role. And I'm talking about it could be either gender. I'm talking about people who are doing what they do as opposed to doing what they think television audiences want to see. And it's it's rough. Uh, I know, I know Stephanie, your show, that's forthcoming. We can't talk m- much about it. But um, we I think we can say it'll be a 50-50 representation. Is that is that fair?
2: Uh,
1: absolutely. I think... Um Especially, and I think I can at least say this much: um, whether or not the screen time is equal, the um, the respect and the the roles are equal. I mean, obviously, given my role, I'm a psychic medium. I wasn't allowed to be in on the interviews cause then I would know everything. Right. Um, so they created a complete Chinese wall around me. So if you don't see me as much, it's because I wasn't allowed to know as much until it was time for me to do my thing. Um, but I am extremely fortunate to be in a position where I worked with a production company and a camera crew that were a hundred percent protective and completely respectful and just understood what it is that i did and what I had to offer. On top of that, you know, I work side by side with my boyfriend. So that's already there. You know, that respect is already there. And, you know, working with somebody that doesn't view themselves as a superior, it's just, you know, you're equals in the entire thing together. Um, I really lucked out with that. But past experiences too, you know, being able to work with Amy and Adam on kindred spirits, um, the respect that I had from the two of them for what I did was just amazing as well. So I think that each television experience that I have been exposed to, not only from the shows that I've worked on, but the shows that I've also consulted on or I've been, you know, around. um, For me, um, I think the majority of them do treat women very well. And um, if they don't, then they don't last very long.
0: They treat them well, but they don't give them, you know, enough equal representation. And, and and Amanda Woomer, I will say Stephanie's boyfriend is one of those, you know, muscle bound, tight black shirt guys. So <laughs> you,
1: yeah. there's nothing wrong with that. <laughs> Trust me. I mean, I'm not complaining, um, for obvious reasons, but um <laughs> but the respect for women with him is there. Um there's a reason why he works with me and not with others, because, you know, he is all about the respect for everybody as a whole. Um, But I think that um, some shows have it right, some may not, but those women that are on those shows are still filling those roles for whatever it is and not fighting for that equal time or not laying down what their role should be. I went into this particular situation, I turned down many shows before I, I agreed to this one, as did Scott, because what we wanted was to be together, to be equal and to have some type of creative control on how we were portrayed most people and maybe most people don't realize this either the people that are on tv most of them just say yes just to get on tv they don't care what the role is they'll say yes to oh yeah i'll repeat that i'll say whatever it takes um and i'm not saying that for you know the major shows that have been on forever you know amy and adam um ghost hunters you know different things like that they are very much in control of what they do but the the ones that pop up here and there they're hiring whoever and they're they're editing however they want to and they're just hiring anybody we call them yes men um you know they'll just do whatever it takes to to have their face on tv that's not helping the future of of any television never mind just paranormal um having people that have integrity and you know wanting to further what it is that we're all doing or portraying things in the correct light is important. And, you know, I don't know really how to fix that besides um, continuing to do work out in the field the correct way and hope that eventually that it lands you in a spot where you can teach the rest of the world the right way. Well, That's at least what I try to do.
0: I think it's going to kind of correct itself uh, in, in in the very near future because Broadcast television is losing its its hold on entertainment, and where you know things are starting to fall into the hands of the content creators. So people like the, the women that we have on this panel, who are out there creating this content and delivering it directly to their audiences in a different way, they're going to be the people that are, you know, for lack of a better term, the influencers in the paranormal going forward, as opposed to the people that are, you know, just kind of locked into. I mean, even you know, you Stephanie, it's 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 going to be. Um, new media as well as traditional media. You know, there's there's going to be across the board more of this integration. Uh, one thing that I want to also address too is, or, or ask your opinions on, is the way that this is handled by people out there in the real world when you come knocking on their door asking to come and do investigations. See, Stephanie and I are lucky because we're coming at this from the perspective of, you know, we're working with this TV show or we have a radio show. So we have this kind of built-in um for lack of a better term, respect that people give us because we're in the media. Uh, Amanda Paulson, when you go and you're looking to try to investigate a place, have you ever had encounters where people say, wait, it's just you, little girl? Where's the where's the guys that are going to keep you safe?
2: Um, you know, I, have, I think I have a unique perspective on this, uh, being that I'm on the West Coast, first of all, which is much different, I know, than the paranormal community on the East Coast. Um, so... Uh, I haven't had as much issue with people stopping me from investigating their home or their business or or questioning my validity uh, just by being a woman. But I think the most common question or comment I get from being a solo investigating woman is, um, you know, Offhanded comments like Aren't you afraid of of what might Happen or do you have protection on you Or are you prepared to use Protection Um, Which is equally as weird And feels almost a little bit um, Like doom and gloom Like they assume something will Happen because I'm alone but I've Never had anyone truthfully I've never had anyone Stop me and be like where's the rest of your team Where's the man where's your Sidekick you know why is it just you Um, But I also have only ever been online as a solo investigator. Um, and and before that, uh, I wasn't necessarily investigating homes and, and things like that. That's not really like what I'm into. So, um, yeah, I, I don't know.
0: Yeah, I'm the same I, way. I, I don't want to go in anybody's home if I can help it. It's just it's yeah. not it's not for me. Uh, Becky, what about yourself? Uh, Have you ever encountered where people have said to you, oh, we're not sure that we want to, you know, do you have protection? Do you have somebody there that's going to back you up and keep you safe?
4: I think most people know what they're getting into because most things that I put on the internet are just of myself, even if I am with someone else. And um, I've never really had that kind of interest. Uh, I've definitely had people contact me for the wrong reasons, which is just like to gain access to my social media, which I've learned to be better at vetting. But most of those people are like, Oh, it's you. And then like, you know, um, that's it that I haven't really encountered that. It's mostly in my comments where I get like, what I, you know, have always called spiritual gaslighting. And it's just like, uh, oh you're by yourself you're gonna learn your lesson someday or do you do this by yourself because even like the men who are content creators right now that are really popular, they're always in pairs. So to do something on your own, it it confuses people. But I think one of the things that have pushed us towards this is that we no longer need like a production crew and like camera and uh, I mean not no offense to people who do that as their profession. It's just we can do a lot of things with a cell phone. So It's a lot easier for us to enter a location and investigate um, without having a ton of equipment or a ton of gadgets that are really hard to figure out when we can just have like several small cameras and um, things that are a little more easier. And I think people imagine like this giant production crew that shows up with like those big cameras that are used to like, you know, film basketball games.
0: But also, I mean, at the same time, that, that's probably a lot more appealing to some places because when you make, no pun intended, a big production out of it, you know, then people start to get nervous. They're so like, well, what's going to happen? Who's going to show up? How are we going to control the situation? Do we have to close down early? Do we have to do this? And you coming kind of in as a, as a solo uh, crew on your own probably gives them a lot more, um, you know, they feel a little bit more relaxed about the situation.
4: Yeah, I definitely think it is a little more intimate than making it, you know, like a big thing. But at the same time, that's at the sacrifice of having um, more angles for anything that could potentially transpire. And, you know, I give a whole presentation on the fallacies of using our phones to investigate. So it has a duality to it.
0: Yeah. And I tell people all the time when I used to say, you know, Turn your cell phones off. Now I say, hey, your cell phone, you spent all that money on your phone. It's better than whatever camera you bought. It's better than whatever voice recorder you bought. Uh, The technology has just improved. Uh, Amanda Millette, I want to ask you because I know and I've kind of seen firsthand that you have been treated as the little girl in some cases. And is this something that you are, you know, able to reconcile? Is this something that you just kind of accept it as, you know, I'll show them and your work will stand for itself? Or do you get angry about it when it happens?
5: Um. Well, I kind of relate to what Becky was saying. I get a lot of those comments. Um, it's kind of funny. I'll like have, if I'm not in the video, the comments are mostly positive. But if you can hear my voice or see my face, there's a lot of, oh, you'll, you're playing a game little girl you'll learn one day or why are you wearing a full face of makeup when you're investigating and it's like why does that matter (laughs) like um I mean I guess like Becky can relate um with the makeup part but it's like why why does what I look like matter like um that kind of stuff um sometimes like grinds my gears a little bit but Yeah, I mean, in most aspects of my life, not just paranormal, like you see my face and people go, oh, what are you, 12? But, (laughs) I mean, I guess that's just something I'm used to. But I feel like I'm just, like, slowly making my way into the, you know, into the paranormal and everything. And I guess, yeah, one day they'll they'll see, as you say.
0: (laughs) To be fair, I thought you were 14, so there's that i'm just kidding That's
5: What I mean, we have this straight white man here i'm just kidding
0: <laughs> yeah uh, no no I, 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 you're okay. right though T- talking about the comments and, and all of you have a strong social media presence and you have i know because i've seen conversations with you uh online and, and been involved in some of them where the comments do very quickly turn misogynistic, how do you deal with that? And now I'll let each one of you answer that. But, uh, you know, Amanda Womer, how do you deal with it when you start to see, especially when you're out there promoting the feminine macabre and people are saying, well, why do you need to have a woman? You know, guys are involved in the paranormal too. Why do you have to have a book just about women?
3: Um, I was just having a conversation about this today on Twitter. And my rule of thumb is always, you know, you kill them with kindness. You know, you try to explain the situation you explain, at least for me, like my perspective, this is what I've experienced in the paranormal personally, as a woman. This is what other women that I know have experienced. This is the history of women in the paranormal. We need this journal. Um, You know, and people always would say things, you know, like, well, where's the all male journals or the all male stuff. And I said, look around, it's it's already there. Um, So I usually try to keep it as nice as I can. And it takes a lot of effort sometimes. Um, but I usually, you know, try to play it as cool as possible. And then if they start getting nasty, then they look like the, you know, the the angry, bitter one, not me. Because I feel like women, when we try to take up our space, um, we come off as bossy or bitchy or... You know, we're 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 the Karens um, because we're complaining about things. Whereas it's really just we're trying to reclaim the space that was always ours from the beginning and has just been denied us over the years. Um, So I try to do it as nicely as possible, and a lot of times I end it with, "I'm just not going to feed the trolls. I'm gonna. I have way more important things to work on. I have projects to work on. I have." cat photos to look at on my phone i don't have to deal with this um so if it ever gets really nasty i just i go away because i don't have to i don't have to worry about it and luckily my following is not nearly as big as any of the other ladies here so i do think that i do avoid a lot of the hate um the majority of the misogyny and the hatred do come towards the feminine macabre and not spook eats um or me individually
0: Uh, Amanda Paulson, how do you deal with it if you do get that, if you get the, you know, the people who are going to start trolling you and and start posting those kind of comments on your work?
2: Um, you know, I, my comments aren't that bad, to be honest, Um, but that's not to say it doesn't happen or doesn't happen behind the scenes. Um. In, I feel compelled to mention, too, um, kind of circling way back to a couple topics ago, but um, just about how much is going on behind the scenes in terms of the conversation around inequality and around nasty comments and, and all of these discussions, and how much is happening that isn't seen necessarily in, in comments or, or uh, you know, whatever on the Internet. Um, and the, the hard conversations that are ha- being had behind the scenes with, um, men who are in, uh, like in, have a lot of power basically. <laughs> and, uh, so I may not be dealing with, um, comments. My, my following is not quite as big either as, um, Amanda Millette's or Becky's. Uh, and so I'm, I'm lucky for the fact that I don't just get hateful stuff thrown at me just For the heck of it, Um, but there are a lot of hard conversations I'm having behind the scenes to be able to advocate for women in the field and for myself um, that will never see the light of day. You know, Uh, and and it's difficult. I relate to what uh, Amanda Wimmer said um, about the uh, you know having to balance coming across as bitchy or as too hard um, or not soft enough as a woman. Uh, when you're just trying to hold space for yourself, um, space that should be allowed already, uh, I I relate to that a lot. But um, there's a cat running around. I don't know if that's going to come through on the recording.
0: That's nothing wrong with cats.
2: <laughs> um, but yeah. Anyway, uh, the the short answer is, uh, luckily, I don't have too many trolls um, up in my business. Uh, but I particular am particular in dealing with a lot of difficult conversations behind the scenes and it uh, takes a lot of self-control to not, um, to not go low and to just, uh, argue to argue, but to really honestly research, uh, how to have conversations about, uh, about inequality as a whole, you know, and, and how to, uh, how to approach those conversations with people in power. But, uh, Hopefully that answered your question that was a long
0: winded answer oh no, no great great stuff amanda mallette uh, i've I've seen you get into it with people in the comments, especially on some of your your videos as you mentioned you know that that they will have no problem uh calling you out for the most ridiculous things and you have a tendency you do you if if they try to take a swipe at you, you do take a swipe back
5: um yeah I, I admire you guys for being so nice I'm like I don't know i think the internet is the wild west so like <laughs> you come for me like i come for you okay <laughs> Like, no but just like some of the stupidest comments and i'll just like insult their intelligence um or just block them or remove them or what but <laughs> maybe i should be nicer but i guess that's just me
0: <laughs> i mean if they deserve it they deserve it becky i've seen you as well you know that you've gotten into it with folks and Uh, You I think you know you do no offense to you Amanda Millette, you do take a little bit more of a judicious approach but you you do things very logically and you throw it kind of back in their face and explain to them like this is why you're wrong to feel this way and you can almost take you can almost take the way that you handle it as a learning moment for that person if I thought they could actually learn a lesson.
4: Unfortunately, I feel like not everyone is afforded the ability to stand up for themselves because especially when people are in proximity to you and they are making these types of comments and you know you will have to see them, you are putting yourself in the way of danger. So as much as I'd like to stand up for myself, um, I kind of give people this like, ooh, maybe that was a little bit of weirdness, but it will fade out. And once they do something, because the gaslighting also happens where, um, as Amanda Paulson said, it's happening behind the scenes. Like there's a lot of stuff that happens publicly, but most of the stuff that I deal with that I think is the most challenging is things that are occurring that nobody sees, nobody knows I'm dealing with it and I have to just accept it. And um, most recently I had a comment made to me that was um, ended with LOL, just kidding. And it was entirely inappropriate, but if I call it out and say, um, so-and-so said this really insane thing to me, Um, which I feel like I should be entitled to do, they would say, she can't take a joke. And that's not fair. I feel like we should be able to say this. So I kind of have to wait for this like nail in the coffin moment. And sometimes I don't get that, unfortunately. And I always kind of categorize people. If anyone has ever made me feel overwhelmingly aware of the way I present my gender, I don't want to be in that space because I can tell that's already what's on your mind. Um, as far as responding to these comments, for example, the other night I was investigating while I was on live and I had a blindfold on and someone makes a comment about my appearance and like basically sexualize the context of the situation. And unfortunately, I'm blindfolded. Like, if you think about that, the context of that, uh, about making a comment about someone's appearance and making an advance towards them while they're blindfolded and how um, that removes so much of your safety, the fact that you can't even read or see that that's occurring, it I just thought was, you know, really telling of the situation. Um, but yeah, it it really is. You're put in a position. Um, it's really, really difficult to say anything without fear of backlash in the community. I, one night I was with a group of maybe eight investigators and it was like four o'clock in the morning. And we just finally were like laying everything out on the table and we're like, this is happening. This is happening. Um, you know, and everyone sees it, everyone knows it's happening and nobody's able to stand up for it. Because again, proximity, danger. Um, Some people who refuse to acknowledge things, not taking sides on things like assault, which I don't think there's really a side from. But as far as like random people on the internet leaving comments, I've learned to not read them. You know, one of the biggest publications that I reached in my entire life uh, came out. And the first comment was, she's hot, but she's nuttier than squirrel poop. And I'm like, why do I even invest myself in reading this stuff. So last month I had a situation where I had three consecutive, consecutive viral videos on Instagram. And when I was logging in a lot of the comments, they were directly misogynistic. Um, one of them that really kind of stuck with me was that I was desecrating military locations who are adver- advertising themselves as being haunted. They use the money that is funded from these investigations to restore this place, to preserve the memory of these people who gave their lives during these situations. And unfortunately, I don't think that would have happened if I were a man and the, the man who was making the comments just continued to go. And then, um, another one, a couple comments up, it was like, I screenshot it and post it. Cause I'm like, I can't believe I have like three consecutive really nasty comments back to back. And they're all from men. And they're all saying, I don't know what I'm doing. I'm being disrespectful. I'm disrespecting the military. And, um, if you respond, then you're crazy and you can't take a joke or, you know, you're taking the internet too seriously.
0: Yeah. I mean, unfortunately, that's the way people look at the Internet, too. They feel empowered to be able to make these kind of comments because they look at it as what what kind of backlash is there going to be? What, what consequence am I going to have? Because I can be, you know, a, a semi anonymous person here and be able to get away with this. Uh, I do have to hold it here because we are uh, at the end of this hour. Uh, when we come back on the other side, we're going to get into. Uh, Some of the things that happen at paranormal conventions. Why, if there are so many women in the field, are there so few women being involved in these conventions? And uh, we'll also talk about really what I think is the most dangerous part of all of this is that women are being put at risk by attending some of these paranormal events and and being around some people who really shouldn't be allowed to be in the dark with anybody alone. So uh, we'll take a quick break and then we'll be back with more Spooky South Coast. Stay tuned. Welcome back. Our number two of Spooky South Coast, Tim Weisberg here, along with psychic medium Stephanie Burke. And we are talking with a panel of women in the paranormal about that very topic. We have Amanda Paulson, who you know is pretty effing spooky on social media. We have Amanda Woomer, who you know from Spook Eats and the Feminine Macabre. We have Amanda Millette, Spooky New England Ghoul and Spooky New England. She uses both. And also we have Becky Ann Galantine, who you know as My Bloody Galantine. And really, four people who are... Uh, you know, being vocal about this. And that's why I wanted to have all of you be part of this, because I have seen you start to speak up about something that, unfortunately, a lot of people didn't feel empowered enough to speak up about over the years. I've known people in this field for a long time who have lamented the fact that they are sidelined just because of their gender, and they really had no way to speak up. And I think that we are at a point where as i called it before it's it's a reckoning some of the stuff has to be brought to uh the attention of of the paranormal community as a whole because it what we see is not a correct representation of who is out there doing the work and one of the things that i think the public sees as a representation of who's in the paranormal are these paranormal conventions uh there's it seems like there's a new one every week uh, there's a obviously there's some really great ones that have been around for a long time that I think do have a lot of balance to them. Uh, Stephanie, you've you've taken part in some of these. I've taken part in these where you do see women represented, but a lot of these ones that are popping up, especially because everybody seems to think that they can put on a convention themselves, they they aren't really necessarily getting that equal balance. And and, and Amanda Warner, you actually put together an all female event recently
3: kind of it wasn't quite a convention or anything but it was just a writer's retreat for the ladies of the feminine macabre but eventually in the next few years i would love to be able to do like a feminine macabre conference of sorts where the ladies um and the contributors who have written for any of the volumes can come and present on the work that they're currently working on whether it's research or a book or a podcast or a project um so i'm hoping to eventually kind of I complain about this problem all the time, so instead of just complaining about it, I do hope to one day actually be able to contribute to a solution in a way by doing an all-female convention or conference at some point soon.
0: I mean, Stephanie and I have talked about putting on a conference ourselves for years. Uh, the thing that I'm the most afraid of is all the money you have to have in advance. Like it's you can't it's not like, a you know, when you go and rent out a place and you can say, well, we're going to give you twenty five, seventy five, whatever of every ticket that's sold. This is like, no, no. Convention centers are like you owe us ten thousand dollars before you can open the door. So it's, it's a little bit daunting. But so let's talk about that. And I'm, this is just open for anybody that wants to jump in. What is it that you think might be the reason why you don't see more women uh, at these events? And to be fair, they might be at the conventions, but they're not putting them on the posters. They're not featuring them and making them on equal ground with the men that they're putting out there to advertise the convention. Go right ahead, Amanda. Um, Well, I just
5: noticed there was, there were a couple of conventions Posted by men who um, have some shady past um, and may have may or may not have allegations against them. Um, so I guess that would make sense that they wouldn't want to spotlight women at those said unnamed conventions.
0: Well, look, I'm going to call out a convention just because it was something that that popped up and it became it became a topic on social media. But the Warrens convention that they had in Connecticut, excuse me, there were people who were pointing out the fact that there was a lack of female representation for one of the most influential women in the paranormal. No matter what you might think about the Warrens, you know. Lorraine Warren is the probably the most famous female name in the paranormal. Becky, I saw your hand up.
4: As someone who was invited to represent that event, I will say that I was hired as an influencer to enter the space and advertise on social media. Both of those videos received 4 million views back to back, but I was not invited to be a guest at that event. So I just thought about the dynamic of the fact that I'm good enough to spread awareness on social media. And um, they gained 10,000 followers for that day. And I will say that some of the folks involved were the kindest, most respectful people who really are proud of me and my accomplishments. But that is the situation. And I'm, I know I'm seen as an influencer, and that's fine. Um, that's not their fault that I'm perceived that way. And I understand why I'm perceived that way. But that is the situation. And um, so when I saw things being brought up about the criticism towards that, I had kind of Mixed feelings because I know behind the scenes how kindly I was treated and accommodating certain people were um, that are a part of that group, and how um, even following the event, they continued to support me, some of them. Um, But I will say, I think the lack of representation comes from the lack of representation on television. So if people don't have TV faces to put on their flyer because there's less women appearing on these shows um, then they don't see value in it. They don't see value in putting a, an author who sells a ton of books and does so much work or anything like that. It's just these TV faces. And with that being the unfairly represented thing and, you know, so many people on one episode of some random television show about some story that's probably not true, putting their name on flyers and considered celebrity guests at events, I can understand why that is transpiring.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's funny that one of the one of the forgotten names for the younger generation that's coming up is Rosemary Ellen Guiley, who was one of the most influential people in the paranormal and one of the most knowledgeable people. But she never really had a TV show, so she's kind of lost to the annals of history to some degree. And thankfully, a lot of people are still, you know, keeping her name alive, as uh, because she she was a wonderful person that just wanted everybody in this field to succeed and could do whatever she could would do whatever she could for that. Uh, Amanda Paulson, you're out there on the West Coast, so it's a little bit you know uh, area that I'm unfamiliar with. Are there a lot of paranormal conventions that do happen out there, and is it is it the same problem that happens out there?
2: Uh, there aren't any paranormal conventions happening out here, um, none that I know of. Uh, And so there's no opportunity for this to happen. Um, But I will say, as I'm listening to uh, stories about these kind of conventions, it it just brings up something that might be kind of obvious, but, you know, this is, the issues that we're talking about with conventions or with TV or with social media are just the tip of the iceberg. And the reason why women aren't on, on these posters for conventions is is because of the deeply embedded misogyny that is way beneath the surface that we have to deconstruct and, and have conversation about in person, likely, it, it, one by one, at least. Maybe not necessarily face-to-face in person, but, you know, having the scary conversations, again, back to, like, behind the scenes, making sure that when we are put in these situations that we... Have these conversations, or, or if we don't feel comfortable, to support other people in having these conversations, um, which isn't really fair. Now that I say that out loud, I realize you know it's not fair that we have to be put in that situation where we might not feel comfortable, um, you know, standing up for these kind of issues. But um, but yeah, I mean Becky was right about it, it, the these women aren't aren't featured on in paranormal conventions because they're not on TV, and they're not on TV because they're not valued off TV, they're not valued in investigations or, or, you know, in um, committees or or communities or teams or whatever. So the the issue I'm realizing is so uh, tiered, but, um, but there's no conventions happening over here. I would love to put one together for the West coast. Uh, I have no idea how to do that or have the resources, but but I, I I'm um, for listeners who don't know, I am based out of Washington state and uh, over here it's big. uh, They're big in a cryptid cryptid stuff uh, and um, a lot of like Bigfoot hunting and camping and things. And uh, as you can imagine that um, that is kind of uh, not open to women yet again uh because it's something that is just simply not safe for me to partake in um and so any conventions here or more gatherings of of the Bigfoot community but
0: again yeah. an, an, another field of of the paranormal where there are a lot of women who just don't get the spotlight um and and then the women who do get the spotlight in the cryptid community are usually uh experiencers and not researchers Um, Amanda Millette, your thoughts on, you know, as you started to attend some of these conventions, your thoughts on the representation that they have.
5: I mean, yeah, I I agree. I think Becky made a really good point with the whole you see like their posters and they're like, they're on one or two episodes of a show and they have a a giant poster and it's like, okay. (laughs) So they're a celebrity and they get to be featured. Um, But I mean, I do think like Amy Bruni is doing like a really great thing where she's like elevating female voices. Um, like she had me at, um, a strange escape. She had Becky and now she's featuring, um, Courtney block, who doesn't have like a huge following, but she has this wonderful book. Um, and I think that's wonderful. Um, so I'm glad to see like other women who are on TV, um, elevate the female voices. Um, yeah, I don't know
0: if I answered the question. <laughs> no, no, you did. Absolutely. Um, and, and Stephanie, I know, you know, you get out there to a lot of uh, conventions and things like this. And we've talked before about, you know, who is being represented at these. And it's funny because you have women like the ones on this panel who do a lot of work in this field that don't get featured. But you've got some guy that was on, you know, one episode of A Haunting.
1: Oh, this is a tough one. Um, And I apologize because there's a cat purring in the background. So I hope that you can hear me better than you can hear him.
0: We are accepting all cats here tonight on the show. I know.
1: And I, I just can't help it. Um, So the, the issue, and I've talked about this before with paranormal conventions in general. And I think because I have been doing them for so long, I started hanging around them or attending them. I would say when I was probably about 18 years old and I'm, now almost double that so um watching the dynamics of who puts them on how they work and who attends them is like it's like a formula or a science in itself and the majority of cons out there put them on because they want to rub elbows with the people that they invite to be there so the more that you watch things um like one person will put on a a convention here and they'll invite their friends to be a part of it. So it's a, who's, who's, who, who, you know, type of thing. And then in return, you know, well, they'll, they'll invite other con um, people, you know, like the owners of another con to come to their event. So that way they get an invite and a name and a face on a poster for that convention. So It's, it's funny to watch and it's funny to see, um, how people just invite friends or invite people, um, based off of what they can do. Um, so some people will get invited because they're hoping to be on that TV show. Um, it's never really about, Hey, this person has a great topic and a great lecture or just knows a lot or has worked really hard. It's really all about like, what can they get from you? whether you're a man or a woman, it doesn't matter. So I've always laughed at that because I think it's silly. I think that we should be elevating people that actually have something to talk about. Um, gender aside, I mean, you know, it's, it's silly. Um, I have watched people do lectures on things that they, they read about or watched a video about on YouTube and is now getting a spotlight to talk about it. Um, I could sit here all day long and, and bring up people without naming names and say, like, why are we listening to this? Because it's not even true. Um, but it's because they know somebody. Um, and then that gives those people, whether they're the right or wrong people. But since we're talking about the wrong people, I can think of a handful right now that feel empowered by being on those posters. Um, I know I think Amanda Millette said, like, they did one or two episodes of a TV show and then they have a big giant poster with their face on it. And that's how it continues. Those are the yes men. Those are the people that will say or do anything just to get on TV to continue to build their platform, which is not necessarily correct. Also, the people that you see on those posters continuously, always getting a lecture spot, always being on those posters, most people don't realize they're footing their own way um, to those events. They're paying their own travel. They're paying their own lodging, and they're not getting paid to be there. So that's why they get so many of them. But the minute that you put a price tag on yourself, you're not going to be put first in line to go to any con. Um, So it's, it's silly. Um, The whole entire thing is silly. Um, I think that there's a handful of really good ones out there, Um, but it's all politics. It's all, you know, what's your cost? Who do you know? And at the end of the day, is it anything that people should be going to or listening to? Um, Tim, I don't know if you remember the days of the, the Cape Cod Paranormal Conferences. The I think Capers might have put them on.
0: Oh, yeah. No, the Capers ones were great.
1: Those were fantastic. You showed up and you learned something.
0: Yeah. They brought it, in people from all over and had them come and speak at the college.
1: And that is what a paranormal conference should be is people talking about subjects based off of what they're truly passionate about, their own research, not regurgitating other people's stories or research. Well, wait,
0: um, hold on. Let me let me put a, a a pin in that for a second, because I'm kind of also tired about seeing people say, and here we're going to just present some of the things that we've encountered on our investigations. Yeah, because it's the same thing that we've all encountered on our investigations. <laughs> right. Further the question, further the topic.
1: Right. But that's what I mean by just like they're just it's repetitive. It's over and over again. So, um, you know, for everybody that's listening, you know, my biggest piece of advice is just be yourself. Don't care what other people say. Don't care, you know, about comments or or what people are gonna think about you and and find what it is that you're really good at and what you're passionate about. And if you're passionate about spooky things, like that's awesome. But what do you specialize in? Um, and really just pave your own way because that's what makes you stand out from everybody else and it gives you something and it gives you a value that can't be compared to others you know we're we're talking about the the discussion of women right now and women in the paranormal and like that's wonderful but i don't know about you guys but i've i've been encountered by the worst women possible in the paranormal um you know we're talking about misogynistic comments, Tim, you know, I've been attacked by more women than I think men. (laughs) Um,
0: Especially, especially ones that are, you know, gladly, willingly playing that role that they're expecting them to play. It's almost like they have this self-hate for themselves for, for, for giving into that in order to further their careers. And then they're going to take that out on, on other people.
1: Right. So I think, not to take it away from the women topic, but like just genuine good people deserve genuine good things. And, um, I think, you know, it's time for that to shine, not necessarily the negativity that is out there. Um, you know, there's some really good men out there that deserve all the recognition in the world. Tim, you being one of them that gives the respect to everyone, women, especially, um, that is safe to be around. Um, So I think, you know, something has to change at some point and it has to shift more toward like, let's elevate people that have good intentions. Let's elevate people that actually are intelligent and want to add something positive to the future and to history. And, um, you know, maybe that's wishful thinking, um, but it's been what I've been working toward for years upon years now. And I'm hoping for the best. I'm still hoping for the best.
0: Uh, Amanda Woomer, I saw your hand go up there.
3: Yeah, so just kind of going off of what Stephanie said about kind of being attacked by other women that have kind of fallen into the misogynistic trap, um, I've noticed, and I think a few of us have noticed, especially recently over the last year or so, that I feel like the community of women within the paranormal has almost begun to cannibalize itself. Um, Where because there's a lack of representation and there's a lack of those headlining spots at conventions or on TV shows or on podcasts or in books. um, It almost is becoming a catfight among each other to try to get those positions and to get that recognition that we all feel like we deserve. Um, And I think that's such a tragedy because I feel like it's already difficult enough with you know, the general public and the misogynistic comments of, you know, well, women don't make good TV, you know, we don't want to hear what women have to say. And then to experience it from one another as well, is just so heartbreaking to see. And I'm hoping over the, you know, the next few years, we kind of go beyond that and realize that whether we make our own places at these conventions and at these events, or if other places start opening up, hopefully that cannibalism goes away, you know, and Stephanie mentioned, you know, acknowledging the men that have really uplifted our voices and stuff. I always joke saying, I only know a handful of them. You're one of them, Tim. And the other one for me is Troy Taylor. You know, he's doing his haunted America conference in the summer. Um, and also his dead of winter conference in the, in the winter, obviously. Um, and they're all women. Every single person speaking this year, is, it's an all-female conference. Um, so I appreciate what he's doing and what you're doing, that you're putting actions to your words. It's easy to say like, yeah, women do deserve recognition, but it's another thing to actually use the voice that you have and use the, the respect that you've gotten within the community to help lift that up and shine a light on this very difficult topic that no one seems to want to be talking about, but everyone's kind of whispering about it amongst each other.
0: Well, I think one of the things that's kind of forcing it more to the spot, into the spotlight and will make these hard discussions have to happen is the fact that there's no other way to put it. There are some people out there that are running events that are having people come and be part of these events that are dangerous. Uh, we've been hearing about it. I've been hearing about it for a long time. Um, but the problem was we would hear about it, but nobody was really speaking up about it. Now people are starting to speak up about it. And and I don't want to, you know, have anybody have to recount anything that is traumatic for them that they don't want to um, share. But if you do have stories about things that might have happened to you that you want to share, please uh, feel free. Because there are St- Stephanie's dealt with it, you know, where hmm. she's been called out and paid to go to something where it was. Obviously some sort of setup for something strange and uh, the more notoriety you get, obviously you want to be able to participate in some of these things, but you also, I just, I can't imagine how exhausting it must be to have to do these complete background checks on people before you're willing to, to put yourself in a situation where it's just you and them in the dark.
1: I think background checks are a great idea. And I've said that forever Um, for the ladies on here that don't know. Um, What Tim's referring to is I got paid to do an event once um, that went through a contract through an agent um, and I had a, we'll call it, no pun intended, but like an intuitive feeling the night before. Um, So much so that my boyfriend was out of town and I thought, I even asked my ex-husband to go with me. I was like, please, like, I don't want to go to this by myself. Um, A friend ended up going with me. And it turns out that it was not an event and I was the only person there with this guy alone. Um, so that has happened to me at conferences that I have been to. Um, I have been followed to the bathroom um, by a celebrity's agent. Um, and had my boyfriend not been with me that night, um, I don't know what would have happened. Um, I have been locked in a restroom by a woman by women and not let out, um, until I had a conversation with them. Um, I have been followed. I have been, I, I can come up with an entire list of things that have happened to me. Um, but those are the big ones off the top of my head. Um, so I would say that both genders are pretty dangerous and creepy. Um, but, uh, getting paid to go to a fake event was probably the cake for me.
0: Yeah. And that's, that's the height of danger. But, uh, I'm, I mean, I'm sure you've all gotten the, you know, you get the messages, the DMS, you get the, you know, the, I, I don't even want to speculate on, on what they must say, but I'm, I'm sure it happens more than people realize everybody's just nodding their heads for those who are listening on the, ra- on the radio. Uh, <laughs> Becky, you want to, you want to chime in?
4: So I think that like, One of the things that is happening is for fear of losing opportunities, I guess, or whatever. um, I refer to it as New England's Boys Club, where a lot of people have allegations against them and they refuse to let people know and people... Um, I've had instances where people knew and didn't tell me ahead of time. They wait till I'm in the dangerous environment and they say, oh, well, you know, you didn't ask, or um, I was afraid what would happen if I told you, or, you know, I've relayed information to people and said, so-and-so is dangerous. And they continued to put themselves in that space. And I understand, but for me, um, I lived on this earth long enough. Um, an, an allegation's is an allegation. I don't think there's an excuse. Um, I don't think there is any person that is so grand that if they have even one single bit of an allegation that it's worth putting myself or other people in their space. So I don't care who you are. If I hear that about you, you're done from my circle. I will quietly exit. I will drop the event. And um, I'm sure... There are people who are going to listen to this and know exactly what happened in a certain situation, but it's, it's the DMS. It's the things that I can't make public for again, fear and proximity, the things that are inappropriate, the times you meet people and you think they're really great. And then they ask you if you mind splitting a hotel room with them, or if you want to drive in a car eight hours away from where you live. And be with them until it, you know, four o'clock in the morning in the dark, and share a room to save money. Come on, we're all adults. We we know what this is about. But then you're gaslit if you try and voice your opinion about it or say I think this isn't right, and they say Oh, well, so and so's other person. They made that up. They wanted a little bit of fame. That's the other thing is like nobody's making up allegations to get fame. Come on, like, but they make you feel that way.
0: Right. And it seems like it's so listen, if I had my druthers, if I if I could do whatever I want, I'd just go scorched earth here and I'd just stop dropping names. But the problem is, is then you have to deal with, you know, slander suits. And uh, and 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 I don't really have the money to pay for any of those. But that's the that's the problem is because they are just allegations. If somebody hasn't been convicted of a crime, you know, you can't go on and say, well, so and so is a sexual predator uh, because you would need to have. But I think if more people, it, again, it doesn't have to be a big public declaration, but like you're saying, Becky, if more people just chime in and say, hey, just so you know, I've heard this about this person. But we all have that fear of, well, are they going to say something to that person? Like, I know all of you pretty well, and I would, I would certainly tell all of you if you got into a situation where I had heard allegations about somebody. But in the back of my mind, I would also think to myself, like... Am I just perpetrating a rumor that was made up about somebody, too, because I wasn't there when it happened? So you have to kind of balance that with warning somebody of the danger and also realizing that there's a lot of drama that happens in this field. And there are a lot of allegations that will get thrown against people just because somebody doesn't like them. Um, But unfortunately, there's way too many actual examples that we can point to for people. Amanda uh, Woomer, I saw your hand go up.
3: Yeah, so kind of going off of this this very, very important topic that, again, I feel like no one has really talked about it until fairly recently. And it's such an important conversation to have because it's a vicious cycle that just continues to perpetuate itself if we don't talk about it um, and don't put up those warning signs for people. Um, you know, I recently put together a book for um, a teen's guide to ghost hunting, very, very introductory stuff for teens and preteens looking to kind of get their toes wet in the paranormal and I have a section in there that talks about protecting yourself and I talk about you know spiritual protection physical protection of like wear closed-toed shoes and bring layers with you but then also talking about how this community does have predatory individuals that you do have to look out for and you know whether or not you know specific names or specific instances you know it's you know anyone who's listening to this you know you know, I don't want to scare anyone away from going to events or, or, you know, going on adventures of sorts, but it's just so important to just be smart, be safe. Don't go off with someone that you literally just met, or you only know them from the internet, you know, always have a buddy with you. It sounds so cliche and so stupid, but those like rules that are instilled in us as kids are there for a reason, you know, so whether or not you actually know, know, of an instance or a person. Um, It doesn't matter. Just, you know, I really hope that people listening to this use that common sense and just be smart and be safe because it is possible to explore the paranormal and have a fantastic time and never come into contact with this. But that doesn't mean it's not happening because it is.
0: Well, and, and as you're talking to the people who are listening to this that, you know, your word might, get shy, might shy away from this, I think who is also going to listen to this are the people who are going to think that we're talking about them. And if you think that we're talking about you, we are. And so since you are listening, we will tell you directly, just stop it. Uh, and I would use stronger language, except I'm going to put this on the radio. But, I mean, it really, like at this point, what do you have to gain uh, from you know, continuing this type of behavior. You, you can see in hearing their voices and, and hearing them talk about this, what you are doing to people, how you are victimizing them and traumatizing them. And that's not what this field is supposed to be about. It's supposed to be about, I mean, there's a lot of victimiz- victimization that happens in the paranormal in just the research in general. We can get into that some other time with, you know, how we've, how we've turned living people or, or people who are once alive into nothing more than a, than a legend. But there's no need to also do the same thing to also destroy the desire to do this for the people who are out there doing it for the right reasons. So um one thing that I, I will point out here is I, I talked to, and this might apply to some degree to women that are looking to get into this field. So there was a longstanding kind of whisper in the paranormal about if you, if you look at a lot of the posters for events and you look at a lot of the TV shows before ghost brothers came along We were talking about a predominantly white field. And so one of the first people that I really got to know who was an African-American gentleman, black gentleman who was in the field, was uh, was Jiggy Webb, who I I, if none of you got a chance to meet him, I'm I'm sorry that you didn't. He passed away uh, a short time ago, but he was just an amazing person. And I once asked him, I said, you know, the reason why there isn't so much black representation in the paranormal is I think maybe culturally or uh, maybe that they just look at it as like, why are people doing this kind of thing? And he looked at me and he goes, no, man, the reason why there isn't any more black people in the field is because they look at how white the field is and say, why would I want to be a part of that? And that I, that kind of floored me a little bit. And I wonder if it's the same thing for a lot of women who are coming up and looking at this. They say, I would love to be part of this but I don't know that I can be the individual that I want to be and still be part of this. I would have to, I would have to succumb part of myself to become part of this, you know, this boys club.
3: And I think that the coolest thing about that is that there, there isn't a, a, a you know, a specific type of person. Yes, we are spoon fed certain stereotypes from television, but like, look at Becky, look at Amanda, look at the other Amanda, look at me. You know, we're all very feminine in what we do. Um, You have other investigators, um, especially part of the queer community that are not wearing makeup and doing their hair and that both are okay. Um, You know, and I think that's the beauty with social media right now is that you are able to see such a broader perspective of investigators and investigation styles than just what were spoon fed from tv because if that's all that we had i don't think a lot of us would think that there was a place for us but i think because of social media and again it's a double-edged sword you know it's it's good but it's also not so good um but the good part of social media is that you're able to look at such a variety and a patchwork quilt of different people and different faiths and ethnicities and and sexual orientations and find yourself somewhere in there where you hopefully do feel confident enough to join in and if you don't see yourself well you can add yourself to the the mayhem that is you know this patchwork quilt of the paranormal
0: Uh, amanda paulson you have out there in the pacific northwest you have different cultures uh out there there's a there's a lot of I know the Asian community is pretty large out that way. You have a lot of native uh, people out that way as well. Do you have a lot of diversity in the field there or is it very similar to what we see in in New England and other places?
2: Uh, There is still no diversity in the field over here either. And I think that is a huge issue um, and has to go hand in hand with the conversation around um, inequality of women, you know, uh, is, is inequality of all. And, um, and yeah, it's not any better over here, uh, at all.
0: I was, yeah, I, I, I was expecting that that would probably be the answer, unfortunately. Um, but one, one of the yeah. things too that I think we need to take a look at is the way that we portray some of the stories in the paranormal, because uh, women are often victimized in some of these stories or, or they're kind of the the sad cases in some of these stories, and they're not getting an accurate representation. Amanda Millette, you are somebody who has been um, pushing the and changing the narrative about Lizzie Borden for a long time, because uh, the no matter what you think about who committed the murders, the fact of the matter is she was acquitted. So legally she was not responsible for these murders yet. People have just continuously acted like that for, for years. And, and I've seen your presentation. I know you just presented it again recently where you talked about why you think that she's innocent. We'll do that a different time. Uh, We'll dive into a whole spooky south coast about that, but you certainly have been speaking up for at least one female who has been victimized by the way that her story has been told in the paranormal world without necessarily the basis of fact.
5: Right, yeah. I mean, I feel like there's many examples of, you know, like, just it's a juicy story about a woman, so we'll just keep perpetuating that, even though there's more evidence to the contrary. Um, in other cases, you know, Bathsheba Sherman, I mean, where is the evidence that she did any of what happened in The Conjuring? And I know Amanda Woomer will agree with me on that one. Um but it's, it's weird how it's like these these women are like sort of like the the scapegoat, like Lizzie Borden, like Bathsheba Sherman. I mean, we, even like looking at like the Salem Witch Trials, like a lot of it was women.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I recently took the tour at The Conjuring House with some people that came in from out of town. And uh, and Corey Heinzen was actually the one that, that gave the tour. And, you know, no offense toward Corey. This is just, you know, how he presents the tour. Uh, but he said when they brought up the subject of Bathsheba Sherman, he said, you know, people can think people can do their own research on her. They can think what they want about her. And I, you know, he was coming at it from the perspective of he's been in the middle of the of the uh, Andrea versus Norma Problem with that, so he's coming at it from a little bit of a different perspective. But when he said that, the first thing that screamed in my mind is, "No, you can't make up your own mind about Bathsheba Sherman because there is no proof about what they're saying about her. You're just letting this stereotype and in this in this false legend uh, keep going. And it, it we need to call those things out when they happen about uh, you know anybody it doesn't have to be a woman necessarily, but. I can tell you that I was out doing my paranormal lectures uh, through October, and I was talking about haunted objects at one library. And when I do my haunted objects presentation, I have a whole section on mirrors. And obviously one of the most famous haunted mirrors is at Myrtle's plantation. And as I'm telling that story about Chloe, the slave who was in a, in a relationship with the slave owner and, uh, and, and had a child supposedly might've had children with him and all these different parts of the story. And then she gets upset and she, uh, poisons the family and they had cut her ear off and all this stuff. And, but you find this one little line at the end of the story where it says, you know, we've, we haven't been able to uh, prove that any of this is true, but yet this legend has been out there. So I'm in the middle of telling this legend and trying to frame it as this is just the legend that's told. And I get about halfway through and the thought comes into my head, like, just stop telling the story. Like, just stop continuing on with this because it's not true. You are, it, I mean, granted, Chloe might have never been a real person. There's no proof she ever actually existed. But still, if she was, you're impugning somebody based on a legend that's been perpetrated by a bunch of people that walk in there and say, Well, we picked up on an EVP something about an ear, so yeah, she must have really gotten her ear cut off. So I think we need to be a little bit respons- more responsible with these legends and these stories and in, in the way that we share them. I think putting I think putting that disclaimer on it, the same way if you turn on, you know, HBO Max and watch Gone with the Wind and they tell you this was made in a different time and this is the way that people handled it, we might have to start doing a lot of that with our stories.
3: And I think one thing that is so important, especially with Bathsheba Sherman and, you know, Chloe, Lizzie Borden, um, you know, and another one that I like to bring up is the canonical five of the Jack the Ripper murders. Um, All of these women are voiceless victims. They can't defend themselves anymore. So any allegations, any rumors, any legends or lore that we tell and we retell and continue to perpetuate, they can't defend themselves against it. They can't speak up. Um, And that's something that just really grinds my gears. Um, You know, especially, you know, Amanda Millette and I were talking a little bit um, at our Lizzie Borden weekend about Bathsheba and, and all of that. And it's just, it's so heartbreaking to see that even in death, these women cannot escape these allegations, these rumors. And especially in the case of Bathsheba, these rumors weren't even happening when she was alive. They started almost a century after she had died. Um, So it's just, it's so heartbreaking to me that women who are living in the here and now in the paranormal community are dealing with, you know, not being able to have a voice or if they do have a voice, no one's listening to them. And then we also look at these ghost stories and these legends and lore surrounding these women, and they,
0: too, don't have a voice. Yeah, Bathsheba Sherman is certainly a case of a bad bit of research combined with a bad attempt at a psychic imp- impression, as far as I'm concerned. But anyway, we can debate that a different time. Stephanie, uh, you know from living in this area, you know, we have a, a, a more recent example of this where we have the New Bedford Highway murders where these women were killed, 11 women were killed, and the, the story still persists that they were all prostitutes. So, you know, it's almost like, well, what does it matter if they don't solve them? It was just a bunch of prostitutes that were killed when in actuality they were women who did have drug problems and some of them did resort to prostitution, but they were people's mothers and sisters and daughters and those people still care about them here and and, and the murders deserve to be solved. Uh, but it's, you know, it, again, it's something that until somebody comes along and tells the story correctly, which we're now starting to get books and and, and a, and a um, potential a uh, documentary series that will tell those stories correctly. We need to be the ones that are doing that for some of these paranormal stories as well, because it's too easy to latch onto those tropes and not understand who the person was behind that. So um, I think
1: it's easy for people to just um, look at, and maybe cause I deal with it a lot too, but um, when you look at a figure in history like that, because you weren't around for it and you weren't um emotionally affected by it that it's just it almost dehumanizes the person it dehumanizes the victim and people end up talking about it like that so a huge part of what i do um because of how i feel and tim you know me well enough where i am who i am and i don't apologize to that for you know For anybody. Um, I don't change who I am. I don't change how I think or I feel just because um, somebody might want that. And when it comes to victims, I make sure to try to give them a voice, Um, a voice for those that don't have one anymore. And, um, you know, another great example of what you're talking about, too, um, with the highway murders that literally, I could throw a rock right now, um, and it would land where some of the bodies were found from where I'm sitting. Um, I can't imagine what that was like a serial killer in my hometown. Um, the year I was born actually, but another documentary, um, that had come out was the other one about the fall river murders and bringing light to that entire situation. There was a ton of female victims with that, that problem too. And they were labeled as crazy or drug addicts and
0: and devil worshipers. And yeah,
1: Yep. Anything that you can put um, a label on. And I think it's just because it tells a spooky story that people are into it. Um, this is a whole other rabbit hole. But at the same time, like we're going off to these locations. <clears throat> and I speak about this all the time because of how strongly I feel about it. We go to investigate locations. And people are like, oh, let's go to such and such murder house. Let's go to such and such axe house. Let's go to this and that and you look into the history of what occurred there and it's like, why do I want to go investigate a place like that? What am I doing to bring any type of, of hype or attention to a location of this sort? I remember the day that somebody told me, Oh, you really have to go to this location. And it was it was on the East Coast. That's as much as I'll say. <clears throat> but you really have to get here. It's so incredibly active. I was like, cool, tell me the history of it, because that's what I say all the time. They're like, oh, a 12-year-old girl was raped here and killed. Why do I want to go investigate a location that that's what happened there? <laughs> um, for what? What does that do? Um, What does that perpetuate for, for anyone or anything at any time? Like, I just don't, I don't agree with it. So I think, you know, having a voice or having a platform and being able to change history, to be able to you know put your voice out there for good um that's another thing that has to stop too is is elevating places that that just push out the fact that people were abused right. and it's not okay
0: well, we, we just have a few moments left. Uh, and I want to thank everybody for coming on and, and being so open and sharing their thoughts. I want to go around the table and let everybody know, uh, first of all, I'll give you a chance if you want to make any kind of final statement, but also to let everybody know where they can follow along with you. Uh, Amanda Paulson, if you want to take the floor and tell everybody where they can find your work and, and any final thoughts you might have.
2: Yeah. Uh, I'll be quick with it. Um, but to just piggyback on, on a few points that Stephanie has made, um, I think it's important for anyone listening and for ourselves, too, to remember to find kind of um, your North Star, so to speak, in in this field, in the paranormal. We are so closely tied to religion, tied to the questions of life and death that we all want to know the answers to. It's a very serious it's a very serious thing. And uh, and I think there's a lot of focus on what we can get out of being in this field or where we can go or how we, I, it's very opportunistic. There there's a lot going on in this field that it needs to work out. Um, but just find your North star and find, you know, a good reason to be searching within the paranormal that aligns with your own moral compass and follow that. And you should be good. But um, as far as where to find me, uh, I'm at pretty and spooky on Instagram and uh, Amanda D Paulson on all other platforms.
0: By the way, I I do realize how odd it says to say you know make a final profound statement about women in the paranormal and uh, also promote yourself. Like I know that the two things do do kind of conflict, but I want to make sure everybody gets uh, a chance to follow.
2: Whatever you. we, you know what I'll say this too. You just brought you just you open up a hole. I'll be fast. Um, but also women should not be afraid to to talk themselves up and and to plug themselves and to and to tell people you know, confidently, Hey, I'm doing something cool. And I, and I believe in it. So, you know, yeah, I will give my last statement on women in the paranormal and also plug myself
3: because why not?
0: Excellent. Amanda Woomer.
3: So firstly, I just want to thank you, Tim, for putting this all together. Um, again, like I said earlier, a, a lot of guys say that, you know, this is a conversation that needs to be had, but you literally went ahead and had a conversation with us. Um, so I, I really appreciate that. And, you know, kind of going off of the idea of, of one last profound bit on women in the paranormal. Um, when I did the first volume of Feminine Macabre, I did a bunch of interviews with the ladies and I asked them. Uh, some of them, what would be your advice to someone, a woman just starting out on her journey? And almost every single woman said um, to just go for it. Just do it. Don't wait. Um, Don't look around to see if there are others like you or if there's a place for you. If there isn't, you make one for yourself. Just go for it because you will regret not doing something as opposed to regretting trying something new. Um, So go for it and look for the other women around you. Nine times out of 10, we have each other's backs. Um, We're there to answer questions. We're there to offer help and advice and sometimes to just be a shoulder to cry on or an ear to listen to. Um, So that's my final words on women in the paranormal, I guess. in regards to The Feminine Macabre, that's on Instagram and Facebook at just The Feminine Macabre. Um, submissions for Volume 5 are open now from now until January 1st. Um, we're only doing one volume in 2023, so if you do want to be a part of it, this is the one to get into. Um, the lady who's writing the forward, I'm very excited about, but I'm not saying who it is until submissions close. Um, and um, as for me personally, I'm just Spook on Facebook Twitter, Instagram, and kind of TikTok, though I'm in the geriatric unit when it comes to TikTok. So follow along.
0: You and me both. Uh, Becky Gallantine uh, some final words and uh, how everybody can follow you.
4: Um, I wanted to add about, you know, not perpetuating these false stories about victims who aren't here to defend themselves as someone who worked in the mortuary field, because um, until you know what it's like to sit down with a family who... You know, and 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 everyone can practice this empathy, not just from my experience. Anyone can have this perspective. But sitting down with a family of someone whose loved one was murdered, or sitting there, you know, handling the remains of someone who took someone else's life, it really puts it into perspective. Um, when I visit these places and these graves and tell these stories. Uh, how important it is to be accurate because if that family were here today, or if I had to sit down with them, I don't care if it was 300 years ago, would they want me to be saying that about their loved one? And would they want me to say that about themselves? You don't just make up things about people who have passed away, you know. And um, New England is the worst, I'd say, for it because how many witches' graves do we have of women? And so when I started telling stories, one of the biggest Things that I heard was I've heard these stories before, but I like the way you tell them because I would go and say, you know, this is the wick, wicked witch of Monroe or Mary Nassau and the witch in, um, you know, Maine. And th- there's countless stories like that where they postmortemly were called a witch and now their graves are desecrated or used to be investigated for someone who never was what they're investigating for, which we shouldn't even be investigating witches as if they're going to be, you know, m- more. Evil or something. What I don't know what people are looking for when they're doing that stuff, and um, which brings me into the next conversation, which is what Stephanie said about not, you know, endorsing these locations that are exploiting people who were unable to defend themselves. And um, one that comes to mind is Norwich, and I spent a lot of time in Norwich, and I know it has a reputation for being evil. It's a place where you know all these people, these hospitals in general, are seen as these places where people are suffering, and. that's why they're haunted. And most of the time the people were not aware that they weren't getting the care. They weren't comparing what they were experiencing to what we have going on today. And um, they thought they were getting the best care. So there isn't this fear, this anguish, this evil nature that people are perpetuating. And Norwich particularly um, resonated with me, because when I'm going there, I start to find out from family members who had a loved one there that they love that place. And when it was shut down by the state, they lost their home. So maybe that's why we should be looking into why these places are haunted, not because people are given transorbital lobotomies and now they're running around like demons or something like it's absurd. So we do, you know, it falls into our hands to change the narrative and, you know, this extends to other marginalized communities and cultures and making sure that we're being the voice that we want our legacy to be seen as. I don't want to be the guy who said that there was a, indigenous burial ground under some certain haunted location and called it haunted. I I don't want to be that person. So um that being said, I'm my bloody Galentine on TikTok and Instagram, essentially.
0: And uh and Amanda Mullette, uh of course people know that you've been on the show before we're going to, uh, by the way, Becky, I just want to say, I've been reading a lot of the comments about the presentation that you gave at the strange escapes event. And we definitely need to do an episode where we talk about that. And some of the things that you just discussed as well. Uh, but Amanda, uh, you, this is, this is your chance to uh, kind of give your final thoughts on this and let everybody know where they can follow you.
5: Um, And I guess this just goes out to anyone investigating. Um, Just, you know, do your research, Um, like historical research on the place. Just because you go to a place that's haunted, um, you know, even if there's a guy there that works there that's giving the tour, doesn't mean the stuff that he is saying is accurate or fair. Um, And please be respectful of the spirits and please um, be careful. Like, I don't want, you know, young women look up to me and I don't want them to suddenly be afraid to go somewhere by themselves. But just, um, you know, just be aware. Um, but essentially you can find me, um, I'm Spooky New England Ghoul on Instagram, Spooky New England on TikTok and Facebook sometimes, and then Spooky NE Ghoul on Twitter if I decide to keep that.
0: All right. Well, thank you all for joining us and for sharing in this very important discussion. Hopefully uh, we can get this out to people to listen. Again, both the people who need to realize that it's, it's, It is going on, and also the people who need to realize that we know that it's going on. So that'll do it for this edition of Spooky South Coast. Uh, We'll be back next week for Stephanie, for Matt, for everybody that was here on the panel. Uh, We want you all to stay spooktacular.